see it, own it, flaunt it, indulge in it, and defend it. And when all of them are working in harmony together, they end up creating being it, where you can live your best life, and that is the most powerful ritual you will ever perform. You're listening to Let's Be Omnist, the show where we are celebrating spiritual diversity, one truth and one story at a time. I'm your host, Michael Anthony, spiritual life coach and intuitive reader from thedivinerlife.com. Welcome to episode four, but more importantly, happy almost autumn equinox. I am so excited because this is honestly my favorite time of the year. As the world starts to cool down and slow down and all around just seem a little bit more magical. Actually, speaking of magic, in this episode, I sat down with a fabulous witch named Michael Herkus, who I've been following on Instagram for quite a while, where he goes by the name The Glam Witch. I've always been super inspired by Michael's glitz and glitter that he sprinkles seamlessly into his practice of the craft. And he really took it as a compliment when I referred to him as the Jonathan Van Ness of witchcraft. I think it's appropriate uh, only because just like JVN, the work that Michael is doing may seem fluffy and pretty or all about aesthetics, but really it's about a deep sense of confidence and power. Michael has been a solitary glam witch for 18 years. He practices Lilithian witchcraft, working exclusively with the goddess Lilith, and he also specializes in tarot, crystal, glamour, and moon magic. He is a regular contributor to Witchway Magazine, and he is weaving his web of witchery in Chicago, Illinois. Earlier this week, Michael released his new book called The Glam Witch, a magical manifesto of empowerment with the great Lilithian arcane mysteries. In this episode, I'll be talking to Michael about exactly how a love for Barbies, snakes, and 90s television evolved into a life-changing spiritual devotion. So grab yourself a cup of something delicious, throw on something pretty and pink, and take a listen to my conversation with Michael Herkus, the Glam Witch. Why don't we just start off with you telling me a little bit about yourself. So who are you? What do you do? What's your thing? All right. My name is Michael Perkis. I have been a practicing witch for uh, 18 years at this point. I'm a regular contributing writer to Witchway Magazine, and my new book, The Glam Witch, is coming out uh, in September of this year, and uh, it's about my practice of witchcraft, my specific spiritual path based upon worshiping and honoring the goddess Lilith, um, who there's there's lots of information about out there, uh, not all that great, uh, and a long, long time ago, there wasn't much out there at all about her. Um, so I'm really, really excited to kind of share my philosophies, uh, my practice, and what I'm doing, um, and how to kind of have other people maybe um, utilize our archetype uh, or magical practices for empowerment. That is so beautiful. <laughs> that was <laughs> the like, cleanest, most like full example. You clearly know who you are. Um, <laughs> I do. I it took a long time to get here, but I do. <laughs> I definitely get that sense of you. Honestly, that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to talk to you. Uh, is because just your presence on social media, it's very easy for people to like fake this, like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I do this every day. But you can tell that you really love what you do. I do. 
I really, really do. And it's interesting you start, um, like, right off talking about social media because, I mean, that's, you know, right now I've been going around. Um, I, I just finished a class in uh, New York, and I'm going to be in um, New Orleans uh, next week. <laughs> and I do one in Chicago all about just glamour magic. Um, and that's kind of uh, the kind of niche that I've, I've gone down. Um and in it, I talk about your persona and building up a, a persona, but also an online persona. Um, so when we're looking at social media and different things like that, it, it's, it's always easy to say, oh, well, this is sparkly and glittery and it's fun and it's exciting and there's a presence there. But, you know, I, I've, I've had some criticism about me on that. That's all I am. <laughs> and uh, I'm happy that in, in talking with people and putting myself out there that, uh, Others are kind of gaining the sense that I do know what I'm talking about, and I uh, I know who I am, and uh, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I definitely appreciate your sparkly, glittery uh, presence. <laughs> I, it lightens up my. Well, who doesn't? Feet, I mean, it's sparkles. Right? I mean, everyone loves sparkles. <laughs> Right. Especially like, I just feel like I scroll through social social media so much to the point where it's kind of like depressing every now and then. And honestly, every Mm -hmm. time I pass one of your posts, I'm like, okay, finally someone having fun. And even if your post is about like you doing something very serious, that's meaningful and moving, it's still fun Mm -hmm. and playful at the same time. And so for me, I'm always like, why can't everyone do that? I love that too. I'm happy that you say that because I've met so many other people who, who just kind of seem like they aren't having fun in their spiritual practice. And I've always say, you know, if it's not fun, why are you doing it? Yes. We're, we're in, there's so many different spiritual practices and, you know, we all come to them um, because we find some kind of a meaning to it, but clearly we're there to, uh, to do it out of enjoyment, to, to, gain and become better at it. So I like to have fun with my spirituality. It's not always easy. It's not always, you know, glitter and sparkly. Sometimes it is very, very dark. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm doing it because I'm passionate about it. And mm-hmm. when you're passionate about something, you're clearly having fun with it. I love everything you're saying. <laughs> I Every time you speak, I just get this like, yes, I understand you. Yes. You are speaking yes. from yes. my soul. Thank you so much. Um, (laughs) You're welcome. Speaking of fun, before I dive into the millions of questions I have about what you do, we're going to play a quick game. Uh, Oh, fun. So we're going to play a quick game of two truths and a lie in the spirit of truth and honesty. And uh, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to have you tell me two truths and one lie about yourself, and I'm going to do my very best to guess what lie or which one's the lie. All right. Uh, so I was born, actually not in the U.S., I was born in a small town in the Czech Republic uh, called Sumburg. Number two, um, growing up, I had a yellow anaconda as a pet. And three, I don't know how to swim. I'm going to say that number three, I don't know how to swim, is a lie. Incorrect. <gasps> I don't know how to swim. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait a minute. Okay, so which one was the lie? Because I feel like the first one was very specific. The first one was a lie. <laughs> no way. That's actually my, my partner was born there. So that one was definitely a lie. <laughs> okay, but, I was so, thinking I, like, oh, he totally looks like he could be from the Czech Republic. So I'm down for that. I have a lot of European heritage, but not not the Czech Republic. So it's funny because I was like, what am I going to use as my lie? Like, I've played this game so many times, but I'm like, I'm drawing a blank. And um, I was like, oh, I'll just use, I'll use his information because it's specific <laughs> enough to the point where you pull it in and it sounds like a lie. I yeah. mean, the truth. <laughs> I was like, oh, he went for the city and everything. So either he Googled it 
or like that's where he's from. Um, so you said you had a snake growing up and I know that you currently have a snake, right? Oh yeah. I have, I currently have three snakes. I have a, um, African ball Python. I've had him for about uh, 17 years at this point. Um, I have a Jumeril boa, uh, from Madagascar. Um, she's huge. She's about six feet and, uh, I've had her for a very, very long time too. And, um, about two years ago, I got a new addition of this little beautiful rosy boa. Um, is what it's called. It's from the southwest states of the U.S. So, My head is exploding uh, but, <laughs> thinking about all these snakes in your in your home. I know. But growing up, I would go and I'd, I'd forage through the forests uh, and the fields uh, with my dad and collect snakes. And they were like my summertime friends <laughs> as a kid. So I had so many, so many different snakes. I, I currently live in Chicago. I grew up in the south suburbs of it. Yeah. And then growing up, I, I continued to have more and more snakes. And at one point I had a yellow anaconda, which is a smaller version of the big, big giant one. And then it bit me and we, we didn't have a good relationship. <laughs> So I went to a very, very loving home, and that's when I got my ball python from Africa. Wow. So I, know. I automatically want to ask you about, like, where snakes fit into your spirituality, but I feel like I'm going to jump ahead oh. if I do that. So instead, why don't you tell us a little bit about, like, where your journey started first? and okay. then Well, well it actually on. works because it started with snakes. Oh, <laughs> that all perfect. kind of works really, really well. Great. Um, so, gr- so growing up, I was fascinated with four things, the moon, snakes, <laughs> Barbie dolls, and anything that was just witch-related, witchy supernatural things. So <laughs> clearly, you know, I grew up in the 90s, and, you know, I came into witchcraft through the glamorization of all of the fun television shows and movies, Hocus Pocus, The Craft, Charms, and all of that. And also really was just interested in strong female characters who were very, very powerful. So Xena and then Buffy when she first came out. Um, (laughs) And then like right after the first season of Buffy, and it was around like 1998, I ended up finding this this graphic novel uh, that was based on Buffy. And I flipped through the pages and there's this beautiful statuesque villain in it, (laughs) this beautiful lavender gown. And her name was Lilith. (laughs) And I was just so spellbound by her. And, uh, in the process of reading the novel and everything, I, I came to find out that it, in it, she was Adam's first wife, who then was became the mother of all vampires, and Buffy had to stop her, of course. So oh. she just always kind of in, like ingrained herself in my mind at that point. And then as other shows like Charmed came into the, the loop and witchcraft got more and more... Uh, it, like thrown into the shows like Buffy and stuff like that, Wicca started coming up and I started to hear the word interchangeably. So at this point, I am a preteen coming into my sexuality, realizing that I'm gay, being tormented for it regularly, not really having any friends and just feeling really, really alone. And I ended up getting my, I convinced my mom into getting me the first book of witchcraft that I ever had called Teen Witch by Silver Ravenswolf. And that kind of led me into the journey of realizing this, this other alternative religion that was based on uh, nature worshiping, honor nature, honoring nature as sacred, and seeing the divine as both a masculine and feminine force. And I never connected strongly with masculinity. Um, there there were moon rituals that tied into the moon and animal symbolism. So snakes were really important, and I, I gravitated towards those right away. So I was, I, I was really starting to kind of feel like this was meant for me. But at the same time, you know, 
I was young, so the material that I was reading wasn't ne- necessarily like completely clicking all the way. A lot of times, the the books and everything sounded a little bit more like they were talking at you <laughs> rather than mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. Um, and then I came across uh, a book in my library called Witch and Magical Journey by the legendary Fiona Horn, um, who I'm so happy to have now become friends with. And uh, she just wrote the foreword to my book, which was extremely exciting. <laughs> but that was where I kind of really got into witchcraft hardcore. Her first book that I read was so much more down to earth and sounded like you were talking to a friend. So she kind of (laughs) inadvertently sparked the flame of witchery within my soul. And what was interesting is like on the back of the book, she's holding this beautiful little brown snake. So I'm like, excited there's snakes (laughs) and uh as soon as i open the book uh, the first page that i land on has lilith on it and this section of goddesses and so i was i read it and it said that you know she was the first wife of adam and uh she's a source of inspiration for witches so it just kind of all was kind of meant to be it seemed like um so as i can as i continued on on my witch journeys i started seeing more and more things about um what was called a patron god or goddess you know a, a a spirit or an entity that comes into your life that has um, like mythologies that are very much similar to like your life path, and they would be kind of your spirit guide um, in this lifetime. So, of course, you know, as this young little teenager, I wanted it. It's like I wanted everything, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so I had to go out and try to find mine, and I was thinking more and more about, oh, well, you know, Lilith kept calling to me. Like, let me look more into her. But there was really no information on her at the time. The Internet wasn't like what it is today. And everything that I was finding said that she was a demon because <laughs> she's very, very linked um, to being demonized by uh, modern patriarchal religions. Right. <laughs> so I was like, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not trying to go down that road. So I kind of ignored her. But she kept on calling. She kept on calling. She kept on calling. And finally, I embraced her and uh, welcomed her into my life. And I'm so happy that I did. And eventually, you know, as I grew older and I, I graduated from high school and I moved into the city, I realized that Wicca was not necessarily for me. I still definitely respect it. Um, but the idea of, of even honoring um, the masculine principle of divinity just didn't resonate with me at all. Mm-hmm. And I realized I didn't have to be Wiccan to be a witch. So I just became my own witch and, and focused on my path with Lilith. And I've been a solitary practitioner. It wasn't until uh, I would say two years ago that I really kind of reemerged myself um, in social media uh, groups um, and within the magical community going to this great festival in New Orleans called Hexfest. Um, and that's when I started uh, becoming a contributing writer for Which Way Magazine as well. And uh, it's, I'm really, really happy with the positive feedback that I've gotten. You know, I'm, I'm here to help others on their magical path. And until I'm not helping people, <laughs> I'm planning on sticking around and, and continuing to share what I know. I've reached that part of my practice where um, it's time to give back and it's time to become a teacher. And I, I really think that you have a lot to share because even just in the few times that I've spoken to you uh, via like yeah. uh, Instagram direct message, every time I mm-hmm. talk to you, you have like something to share or something to teach. And I'm always mm-hmm. blown away by just how much knowledge pours out of you at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> thank you. definitely thank you for like opening up and being willing to talk about it. So sure, of course. One question that I have for you, and I think that a lot of listeners will also have, is how did you go about learning Lilith in a view of something other than this, like, demon 
spirit because I know for me growing up, I mean, I grew up in the Christian church and so I kind of knew Lilith in the background as, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, the first wife of Adam and then like mm-hmm. mother of monsters. The serpent that went and tempted Eve. Yes. There's so many mythologies. Yeah. And then um, Netflix, of course, came out with uh, <laughs> The Chilling Tales of Sabrina and Lilith is like the right now, main yeah. antagonist. So I'm like, please explain to me how that journey went and how you became comfortable <laughs> saying like, I know this is not who you are. Well, um, it's interesting you bring up Sabrina. It's so cool because, you know, Lilith is really this creative force. And she really can infect your mind when it comes to creativity. So she's blowing up in the media right now. And then I would say the last 20, 30 years or so, she's really just slowly but gradually kind of made her her way into people's minds and into their households and just by her name alone. Um, And I think also with situations that we have going on in society right now, her her presence is needed. But as far as kind of contemplating her in a sacred way, when everything I was reading said something negative, um, there were, you know, of several witch books out there that talked about her it, just having like a blurb or something here or there. So I was trying to get as much information as I could. Again, I was a young teenager and from the jobs that I was working in the summer, I would save onto my money and just do what I could to get more and more information on her and read the information. But it was important to find and utilize the stuff that I was reading from more modern day witch practitioners, but also look at her history as a total. I ended up really looking into even the, the negative stereotypes of her because there was something about it. And, and I needed to to learn that in order to make up my own mind. And in doing it, I see that, you know, everyone knows the story of her being Adam's first wife, you know, um, who was created equally the same as Adam, and he wanted her to submit and lie below her during sexual relations. So she said no, so she flew to this cave by the Red Sea and just woofed it up with demons and bad guys, had a whole lot of sex, and then gave birth to a thousand demons a day. Um <laughs> so, and then all these other subsequent myths came into reality. But in doing a little bit more historical research, you know, I found that her original origins dated back 5,000 years in Sumeria. And that was when there was a matriarchal religion in place. And the mm-hmm. goddess Inanna, or Ishtar, was the major queen of heaven. She was the goddess of love and lust and sexuality, astronomy, the stars, and she was, she was it. And Lilith was a, a part of that. You know, I think that she does go back even further. And there are some people that believe that she was a fertility goddess at one point, which I wouldn't put past being the truth, but we don't have anything that really solidly says that. But, and also, you know, at that time, she was considered Lilithu, the spirits of the night, this feminine spirit of the night that brought disease to the land. But we know from her earliest origins, that she was a high priestess to the goddess Inanna and Ishtar, and she was a priestess to the sacred sex temples. So she was responsible for going out into the fields and luring men in and teaching sex magic, essentially, to the people of the town. They saw sexuality as a sacred gift of the goddess. So they were a little bit more promiscuous, and they believed more in you know sexual sexuality for pleasure rather than procreation. And, uh, you know, we kind of see the evolution um, the, with the fall of matriarchal religions mm-hmm. into the patriarchal society. You know, I, I just kind of see Lilith as being, you know, looking at what she represented, she represents everything that was this other religion was against. <laughs> so, right. you know, uh, when we look at, like, conflicting religions or, you know, even different brands, you know, they're going to try to tear down 
their competitor, essentially. So I realized that all of the harsher, nasty things about Lilith that were being said, you know, that was just one philosophy's representation of her. So when you can learn and learn and learn about the things that were really true in there, that's when you can make the decision on whether or not she was good or evil. To me, you know, there's some mythologies that represent her as a uh, baby killer. <laughs> and um, I don't see her as this being that goes and flies and kills and eats little babies, but she is all about equality. And, you know, when it, when I look at her as being a baby killer, it just means that, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't um, an entity that was in, into fertility in the same way as procreation. She, she really represents sexuality from a creative state of mind, not in a procreative, but in a, an ecstatic pleasure that we should give into. So again, and we look into today's society where we have modern contraceptions, we have abortion, we have all of these other situations. Your right to choose how to how to work with your body. That's all Lilith's persona. Um, and then, of course, with her being connected to, like, Lucifer, for example, um, and Samael, you know, there were subsequent myths of her from the Kabbalah and uh, other sources that kind of started creating these mythologies for her after that story of her being Adam's first wife came out, just because they were we're bringing her, her story along. But I think, you know, if, when it comes to spirits, deities, all these different things in the world, you know, they, they stay alive through people believing in them. They stay alive through belief. It's, it's kind of like society's um, idea of, like, the media, and there's no such thing as bad press. I kind of feel like Lilith was that same way. I mean, you know, we hear that there aren't any known rituals for her, <laughs> There weren't any known ways of practice for worshiping her a long, long time ago, which, of course, was really hard for me at the time because I was trying to figure out how to do it. Uh, you know, I think that society ended up worshiping her inadvertently <laughs> through hating her <laughs> yeah. and because they don't know any other female spirit or feminine force that has survived continuously for the last 5,000 years. So I ended up working with her in more meditations, um, and I coupled that with the research that I was having. Um, I allowed her to come to my dreams, and I was just paying attention to even more of the synchronicity that was coming to me. So I know how we were talking about snakes earlier. You know, one of her sacred animals is a snake. She's a goddess of the moon. That's something that I look up to. And um, with relationship to dolls <laughs> that I had mentioned earlier, too, you know, and this is something that I just really found out. The first Barbie doll ever created here in the United States was replicated off of this doll from Germany from a comic strip named Lily. That is so and funny. It, and it, it is. And then also think about it. In Barbie's world, Barbie comes first. Man is, man is an accessory. Like, it's this mm-hmm. enchanted land of fantasy and glamour, and women are first. And it's very Lilith-based. Um, so it's... it's you know, and then even her being considered the world's first witch um, in so many different mythologies and stories. It's really, really interesting just when you can kind of open yourself up to paying attention to the signs and synchronicities. You know, that's how you kind of really draw in anything, <laughs> any information from a spirit guide, higher divine force, um, whatever it is that you believe in. Uh, so I paid attention more to the signs that I was actually receiving, and that kind of helps guide me along the way, too. Perfect. Thank you. I want to talk about this Barbie situation just a little bit more (laughs) because I know that what you do, um, you consider Mm -hmm. glamour magic and you go by the glam witch on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. the name of your book, I believe. That's the name of my book, the glam witch. So I want to talk about what glamour magic is. Do you mind explaining that a little bit? 
Absolutely. So it's funny because when when we say glamour magic, if we go back and we look at what the word actually means in its first use, glamour was magic. Glamour was a witch's spell, an act of bewitchment, enchantment, sorcery, um, and it was linked to witchcraft. <laughs> and it wasn't until the 1930s, the late 1930s, that it got linked to Hollywood glitz and glamour. And, um, you know, glamour itself is very subjective. We all kind of look at it in a different way. Some of us might think it is the fast cars and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. But, you know, to others, it could just be having a donut on the beach <laughs> and just living <laughs> the best life. <laughs> but uh, but uh, glamour is essentially magic. So when you hear about glamour magic, I kind of have a chuckle because it's the same thing. Um, but in in modern society, modern witchcraft, glamour magic is magic that has to do with attracting abundance into yourself, into your life. Um, has a lot to do with beauty, uh, self-love, self-care, um, and overall, again, just attraction and living just a really happy and positive life. So there's many different ways to do it, but I, you know, I really talk about getting into creating a persona, creating a persona based off of archetypes that you're interested in and some of your best qualities and highlighting them for the world to see. So it's, it's a lot about visualization, visualizing yourself as your best self, <laughs> taking time out for self-care, um, realizing that as givers and healers, as witches, we... We need to take some time off to really kind of make sure that we're at full battery charge because mm. even if we want to help someone, if we're running on low, we're only going to be helping someone at a lower capacity than what we could normally do. So it's really into self-love, self-care, um, telling yourself, you know what, you're beautiful. I love you. <laughs> And uh, and owning it uh, and allowing yourself to become a loving mirror and reflect back your best qualities into the world to, for the people around you. Uh, so that's a little bit about it. So, again, a lot of it's visualization. A lot of it is just taking care of yourself um, and incorporating other little pieces of the puzzle in, puzzles in. But dolls, actually, I do talk about it in the book. You know, I'm sure you've heard of – have you heard of a poppet before? Uh, I have, but if you want to explain what a poppet is, yeah. I'm sure there are many so people a poppet is essentially kind of like what Hollywood's take on the voodoo doll is. It's it's a doll, um, and it can be fashioned out of anything from uh, fabrics to a corn husks. Um, it can be baked into bread and then buried into the earth. Or for glamour magic, the best way to use it is using a, a dang doll because they're everywhere. They're relatively affordable, um, and they they're the perfect representation of glamour in human form. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do provide a spell in the book, uh, a glamour spell on how to kind of make your glamour poppet <laughs> and finding a doll that kind of represents what you look like, but a, high, a heightened version of that. And then you can draw sigils on it and put pieces of your hair into it. And if you're good with the needle and the thread, you can make your own clothing for it that really represents what you're after. And uh, then you can kind of create a nice little shrine to yourself um, and your beauty and your glamour and then use that puppet in any of your spells. So if you're looking for healing and you're not able to, you know, personally sit in a circle and, and work with like crystals, for example, for hours upon the day, you could maybe make a crystal grid and put your doll inside of it to help align and charge that energy to you. That is so beautiful. Creating an altar to yourself. Yes, we all need to. <laughs> that, we all need to. I have seen so many altars and examples of like worship of some kind of deity. Mm -hmm. But I, it's not often that I see someone say like, oh, here's an altar to myself. And I know a lot of altars people, you're 
say like you're not supposed to share them or show them to other people. But I just think mm. I see so many altars to other deities, but I've never seen an altar to your own self. Do you mind me I asking? I will send you, you a have... picture. Yes. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say, wait Absolutely. a minute, do you have one? Um, <laughs> yeah, I have. Um, so it has the doll on it and then a couple of photographs that I really like and some fl- uh, dried flowers that were given to me that for really special events um, and a little beautiful, like a little shot glass that I always pour rose water into. Roses, of course, are aligned with love and beauty. Um, water is very healing. So that's kind of like the offering to myself. Uh, and I have little pink candles on there too. And a couple crystals that are aligned with glamour and beauty and a mirror. That is so beautiful. But I, there's so uh... many good, different ways to do it too. Like, I mean, you know, um, vision board is another really great way to do it. You know, it, it, to create a vision board that's aligned with yourself and what you really want. Um, how, how you want the world to see you. You know, I, I just had this in the, I, I'm currently teaching a little online gla- um, glamour class. And in the first week, everyone had a lot of fun with it. You know, I was like, when we're looking at like our persona and how we want the world to see us, you know, pick three, three, anything, any archetype, characters, person, celebrity, who you really enjoy for whatever reason and like create a little collage and, and post it up here. So you can also do that in the real world with magazine clippings and stuff like that. Put a picture of yourself in the center um, and then build it up with, you know, different clippings that make you feel good about yourself um, and how you want the world to see you and kind of have that be like the background hanging in on a, a space dedicated to yourself. I am never going to look at Pinterest and hashtag goals the same again, because <laughs> that is basically magic at this point. That is just so, yeah. so crazy. You have changed my entire view of an, of a social media. Like, <laughs> well, and you know what? That's interesting. I mean, you can definitely, of course, do it on Pinterest and stuff because, you know, we are, we are living in a technological world and, um, you know, computers definitely have energy to them. There's something to them, you know, screens and everything are made out of quartz crystal. So, you know, it, it does have energy there and it is aligned with it. And we can utilize that the social media platforms to our advantage and our magic as well. And when, you know, for example, when you're creating your, your online persona of how you want the world to see you, you know, I, I say kind of, you know, disengage from the negativity. Don't constantly be resharing the negative things in the world mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're just recycling it out. You know, instead post something fun, post something exciting, post a flower that you saw during the day, something that helps uplift and create more harmony for all the chaos and just, disgusting stuff that we have going on in the world. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, quite a few times that you are like teaching classes and that obviously you wrote your book and then you write for Which Way Magazine. Is teaching primarily the way that you share your craft or do you also share it in like a way of someone comes to you and says, hey, I need this and you offer spell work. Is that also something you do? I don't offer spell work for people. What I usually do is I, I end up telling them how they can do it for themselves. And uh, I know there are a lot of people out there that do that, and that's wonderful. But I know, you know, anyone's able to do these these things. And I kind of want to help empower people to find a way to do it themselves. Because your spell work is linked to your intent, right? And so you might want... XYZ situation or person to happen and come into your life, but I don't necessarily have that relationship that you have with them. I don't have that desire or that want. So you are more likely to have a successful outcome by doing it yourself and really believing in it than having someone else do it for you. Right. And I (laughs) love that answer. That's what I was hoping you were going to say. I think that it's become a very big 
I'll call it money market for some yeah. witches and for and some I'm not people. Gonna break it down. I mean, there's. I mean, this can be a really great way of living for people. And so there are some people out there that are really, really good, and they do wonderful things for people. And I love mm-hmm. that. That's great. It's just not my style. But I do do. I do read tarot cards. I do it, them at several events. I do them online as well for people. But uh, I, to me, that's a little bit different. Like I, for that, I'm just kind of this conduit for the universe to let them know what they need to know. Right. And that's more of my active service that I give out, give out with people on top of the classes and now the book and my other knowledge sharing that I give. Okay. That makes sense. So what other kinds of classes do you teach? Like, is it always about Lilith or do you talk about other subjects as well? I have had, I've taught classes on Lilith. Um, I've taught classes on Glamour. I've taught classes on Tarot, how to read the Tarot. Um, and I've also taught classes on Crystals. Got it. Are crystals a big part of your of your practice? Yes. Me, personally, I love crystals, and I have a huge crystal collection. They're not only beautiful, but they're exciting. Like, they're just these beautiful things within the earth. I love it from a collector standpoint just as much as I do from a metaphysical standpoint. I really connect to that earth energy. And I love creating crystal grids and, and using them in my altars and spell work to help, of course, amplify my desired results. And what's cool now is that I have a, such a big collection. You know, if I need something, I, I have it readily available. <laughs> I always have a source, a tool. But also on that, that note, I do want to emphasize, too, that really, and this ties back into glamour magic, the only tool that you ever really need is yourself. You know, all of these other things like crystals and, you know, the aesthetics. Like, And I know I... I drenched in aesthetic and have all of these different things. <laughs> At the end of the day, those things just amplify the energy that you already have. You know, so when you really work on yourself and you build yourself up, you can be a stronger witch, essentially, or a stronger individual, not necessarily just witch, anyone, any spiritual practice that who really works upon your power and figuring out your personal power. And again, not power in the kind of negative sense where you're taking power over someone else, but like empowerment, you know, to find the source from within and push that out into the world. So that's a big part of glamour magic too, because it's it's all about you. It's all about how you see yourself, your love, your energy, your essence, and everything else at that point is just the cherry on top. (laughs) So I really love your message of empowerment and really building people up. So I feel like for you, that really came from your practice as a witch. Mm -hmm. So was there anything in particular or is there anything in particular that you feel would help someone kind of start off in their path? Like what is your go-to or basis for your craft? Okay. So in, in working on this book, it was really cool because it's really just the documentation of my entire practice at this point. Um, my subtitle is, is that it's a, the magical manifesto of the great Lilithian arcane mysteries, which when you use those, those last four words as an acronym, it spells out glam. So that's why I'm the glam witch and why glamour is a big part of it and ties in with Lilith and in, in the way that I've done it. Um, but within my practice, I've had to kind of come up with my own laws, my own tenets, my own ethics system. And if you know anything about Lilith, uh, you know, she's she's wild. You can't tame her. You can't um, control her at all. And laws can really become confining. So how does that, how does that work? So I just, mm-hmm. I ended up coming up with something that's just very blanket for anybody to 
can incorporate into whatever their spiritual path is, whatever their religion, any of that. And they are also connected to not only Lilith, but a certain magical type as well. So the five of them are to see it, to own it, to flaunt it, to indulge in it, and to defend it. And so with seeing it, that's just paying attention to the synchronicities of the world and um, really focusing on that kind of helps uh, tap into your psychic development. You know, when we really focus on symbolisms and dreams um, and working with tarot and oracle decks and looking at the patterns um, and what certain symbols mean, and not necessarily from another person's perspective, but what does that symbol mean to you? And then with own it, uh, that's really owning our, our negatives. You know, we, in order to love ourselves, we first have to identify our negative habits and our negative aspects and own that they are a part of us. It, you know, nature is both loving and cruel. You know, there's thunderstorms, earthquakes, all of these negative things, but that's just nature. So in the nature of us, we have that same representation, and that goes with our shadow self. Mm. And then that leads to the middle one, which is to flaunt it, um, which is the glue that holds it all together. And of course, it's glamour magic, which you just talked about. And then with indulgence, um, the key to indulgence is just really, if you want to do something and you really like it, <laughs> do it. And don't feel guilty about eating that extra piece of cake or, or <laughs> you know, taking a day off for yourself. You know, it, it's a very pivotal part of self-care. But from a magical perspective, it's also, um, I line it with sex magic, which is working with your orgasm, which is the ecstasy of indulgence <laughs> right there, um, to kind of help create the world around you. And Lilith, of course, being connected with sexuality and every one of her mythologies, it's at home very, very perfectly there. And then when we come to defend it, that's protective types magic, which is, you know, some people might say hexing, but what I kind of give people is, I call it magical fight or flight. So in when you're faced with an obstacle or a horrible situation, what do you do? Do you fight or do you fly? What did Lilith do? Because I know so many people align Lilith with, oh, you know, she's aligned with Satan, and so we're going to use her in this curse and this evil stuff, no, no, no. But in the, the grand scheme of things, she runs away when shit gets rough. She takes shelter because that's how she survives. So, you know, it's up to you. Lilith always has choice. So it's up to you as the practitioner to choose. Is it easier for me to distance myself from this negativity or was something done so badly that I do need to kind of take the karmic scales in, into consideration and push that back on the, the person that has created harm? Mm. And that's kind of, you know, how I've, I've structured it and, and built it together and created my laws and my philosophy. And when you, you use all of those in tandem, both as, you know, just the tenets of to see it, own it, flaunt it, indulge in it, defend it, you know, that's just every single day I'm being the most authentic version of myself <laughs> when all of those are humming at the same time. And then the magical applications of each of them then connect me to more Lilith and my spirituality. That is probably the most modern and simplified way I have heard yet. And I really appreciate <laughs> you breaking it down to something so simple and understandable. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy. I'm happy that it's understandable. That's I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> like mine. Because again, there's so many, there's so many things out there that, and there's so much knowledge, but sometimes you have to make it, you have to make someone be able to understand it. So breaking it down in the simplest applications is very helpful because then anybody can pick it up and take it and twist it and shift it and change it into whatever, you know, works for them. Ultimately. Yeah. You know, when I was a, 
a teenager and I went through my whole initial like witchcraft phase and I was like determined that I was going to be the coolest, baddest witch out there. Like that was, you know. Right, the new Supreme. You were going to be the next Supreme. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course, because I was invested in things like Charmed and The Craft and all mm-hmm. of those, like you mentioned, the 90s movies. When you first pick up those books, it is intimidating. There is just so much mm-hmm. law and rule. And if I had picked up a book that said, like, own it, flaunt it, I would have been like, yes, done. This is it. Um, uh, sign me up. This is easy. Yeah, absolutely. This. And it layers, too. So, it, you know, the, the book itself is split into four parts. So, you know, it starts with my introduction on how I got into everything and then just an introduction of the book, kind of like, here's the syllabus, here's what to expect, here's what's going on. And then it gets into the history of Lilith. So that's my, my section that's just kind of what I call the theory of my practice. And then we get into the practice aspect of it that talks more about the correspondence and how to work with Lilith and how to connect with her in a meditation, hold rituals for her and the laws. And then from there, each one of the magical applications that connect to the laws each has its own chapter that gets deeper and further into it. So I really like how I presented it in a way that I think it it really builds up and it makes sense to people rather than just here's this deep, dark um, <laughs> knowledge that I'm sharing with you, and uh, that, which can be sometimes hard to pay attention to that. And I, I just lose interest right away. <laughs> Yeah. It's not entertaining. And I also throw in a lot of puns and a lot of fun, funny things, too, because I think that, that I like that when I'm reading and when I'm teaching. I think it's funny. I was, I was mentioning to someone when I was just up in New York and teaching, I was throwing out jokes left and right because I just think that people pay attention more with that. Yeah. People have to learn how to laugh at ourselves and, um, you know, how to, how to be humble. Yeah. And that's how this whole thing started is the beginning of our conversation. You were talking about how like for you, spirituality has to be fun. Like what's the point if it's yeah. not fun, if you make it mm-hmm. like this long lecturing, boring speech, like I picture the, um, Visine dry, dry eyes guy. <laughs> like if you're going to talk to me about witchcraft in that tone, I'm out. I don't care. So I know, right? <laughs> I appreciate you showing up as like your authentic self with the puns and the mm-hmm. glitter and the whatever else like that is, that's what spirituality is about. It's it has to be fun. And sometimes, I mean, hey, again though, it's not always going to be. But um, again, why do it if you're not having fun? Yeah, I think that too many people look at it from a space of it's always serious and sometimes fun, instead of it's always fun and sometimes serious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's what I think you really bring to the table a lot. So if you were going to leave the listeners with like one last really good piece of advice that's always stuck with you or something you think is really important to know about spirituality, what would that Mm. gold piece be? You know what I will say, and uh, it's something that I definitely closed the book with. And uh, I don't mind giving it out because I have have this weird obsession where um, whenever I pick up a new book, I read the last paragraph first Mm. to see if how it how it ends to know if I'm going to enjoy it. So um, my my closing was really really important to me, and uh, it's all about kind of becoming a living extension of Lilith. I call it the living Lilith chapter, and in it, it's really I would just say enjoy your life, enjoy who you are. Because when you enjoy your life and you live it without any regrets or any apologies and are just 100% you, that right there is the most powerful ritual you will ever perform as a witch. 
or a person. That, <laughs> that is beautiful. That hit me, actually. Yeah. Living, living authentically on your terms for you and embracing who you are and loving yourself, that's the most powerful ritual you're ever going to perform. And you are a so. living example of that. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so if people want to find you on the internet or follow you and learn more about what you do, where's the best place for them to find you? Oh, just go over to my website. It connects all of my social media links, um, all of my events that I do, and also links for you to be able to go and purchase the new book, The Glam Witch. Uh, And the website is www.theglamwitch.com. Perfect. Well, I am going to let you go, but thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and talking about all these amazing, passionate things. I appreciate you. Absolutely. I appreciate you too. Thank you so much. All right, y'all, that was my chat with Michael. Of course, I had the chance to re-listen to our conversation, and I felt just as enlightened the second time around. So feel free to listen again and again and again to your heart's desire. One more over-the-top thank you to Michael for taking the time to share your story. I feel like my own path uh, has changed, and I can now see it with a brand new set of eyes because of what you've shared with us. So thank you again. If you want to stay connected with Michael, you can find his information in the episode notes. Please make sure that you take a minute to check out his brand new book, The Glam Witch, over on his website, theglamwitch.com. When you're done getting your book buying on, you should also go find and follow me wherever you partake in social media. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. All of those uh, social media platforms are the same, at The Diviner Life. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to stick around for more by clicking that subscribe button wherever you're listening in from. And then also take a moment to leave me a top-notch rating and or write a raving review. If you felt empowered by today's conversation and you'd like to share that confidence with somebody else, take a moment to share Let's Be Ominous with your friends, your family, your hairstylist, your manicurist, and whoever else you may come in contact with today. Thanks again for listening. I love you. I appreciate you. And until next time, be true, be you be honest.